Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 76 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 13th of May 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 8. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3. How many of you believe that God would ever tell you something to hurt you? <laughs> believe he would? Do you believe that God would ask you to do anything that would make life worse for you, that would make you more miserable, that would make you have less enjoyment? You know, some people have this picture of an ogre of a God up in the air that is somehow trying to give us a whole bunch of things to do and not to do that's just bent to make our life as miserable as possible down here. Well, I can tell you this from the depths of my heart. I do not believe that there is even one thing in God's Word that He gives to you that He says that would hurt you or make life worse for you. I want to remind you, first of all, as we look into uh, 1 John and as we look at chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 16, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word from 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Father, I thank you this morning for the time that we have together. I thank you for the blessings that have been ours already, Lord, in singing together and praying together, reading your word. But now, Lord, as we come to this time in the service when we are so totally dependent upon you, we pray, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, not because we deserve it, but because we're in such great need. Speak to our hearts this day, each one, as you know the need of each heart, and what each one needs, in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. 
Let me explain, first of all, of course, we are still continuing in our series on contending for the faith. This is sermon number 76 in that series. And of course, as we are contending for that faith, we begin to look at the fundamentals of that faith for which we are to contend. And one of those fundamentals that we must believe if we're part of the same faith is concerning the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Now, we have looked at seven already. This would be part eight of that. The thing is, the titles start getting so long by the time you go through contending for the faith and the fundamentals of the faith and the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ down to what we're really looking at today that there's not room to write it all down anyway. But it doesn't look so bad when you put it in outline form and it all makes sense as it falls one under the other. And looking at this glorious church of Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to depart from where we were, and we'll come back to there. You see, we said we were going to look at four primary divisions concerning the church. That was the definition of the church, which we looked to the Scriptures to define for us what the church of Jesus Christ is, what a New Testament church is. After looking at that, we began to look at the design of the New Testament church. We saw what it was, and it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the one that designed it. He's the one that made it what it is. He's the one that not only made it what it is, but he's the one that gave us instructions of what to do with it. We looked, first of all, as we began to think about that design we looked at the organization of a New Testament church. As we began looking at the organization, we talked about Christians united. Sometimes words just get talked around, but God designed it. The church is not like any other called-out assembly in this world. It is a called-out assembly of believers that have been born again, that are in Jesus Christ, but that are united together in one mind, in one heart, in one accord. Now, every church isn't in one mind and one heart and one accord on many things. That's why the local church is, depend, is so important to us. It's not saying that because those others are doing something different that they're not just as saved as we are, many of them. But the thing is, if we're going to work as one body, which we've seen when we looked at the, the, the defining of this, that one of the ways it's defined to us in Scripture is that we are one body, individual members making up one body with Jesus Christ as our head. We're to function together. We've got to be a united body. And so we looked at that, but a united body with Jesus Christ as its head. Now, we said that from that that we were going to look also under that uh, design of the New Testament church that not only were we going to look at the organization, but we were going to look at the, uh, the officers of that church, and that then we were going to look at the operation of that church and the ordinances of that church. Well, we haven't got through all of what we were going to look at on the design yet, but part of that design is something that we will come back to those officers but I want us to jump down to the operation. And under the operation, we're really going to look at three different things under the operation of a New Testament church. We're going to look at the, the foundation, which we've already looked at to some degree. We're going to look at the furtherance of that, how it continues, how it lives, how it keeps going. And I know this one will excite you. We're going to look at the finances of it. 
How is it all paid for? You see, it is our practice here. And if you're new to Bethel or if you haven't been here a year yet, you'll find that this preacher doesn't hound on money. But I do preach all of the counsel of God. And at this time of year, we come up to our missions conference, which is a time when we renew our faith promise to the work of God, to the work of missions, to getting the gospel to the ends of this world. We're not ashamed that that is a priority for us. The winning of the lost to Christ both here and to the ends of the world. And we will be looking at that as we go through this series on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Simple truth is, is that as we think about the, the finances of this church and how that church operates, we realize that First of all, we've got to remember, folks, He has given us everything. He's given us everything. Now, you know, sometimes when you go into the doctor and you're going in for a checkup and he wants to find out if there's anything wrong with you. I've told some of you this story before. Well, you know, sometimes the doctor kind of begins to to poke around on you and he begins to prod and he begins to press in areas to make sure that everything's like it ought to be. And sometimes when he's pressing and prodding and he'll ask you questions like, does this hurt? How about this? You know, it's like if he's, he's looking for a place just to make it hurt. Well, the simple truth is, is that if you suddenly jump or crowd in pain, one of a couple of things has had to happen. Either the doctor's getting too hard and he's just pushing too hard and he's inflicting pain upon you or there's something wrong. And when he touches you there, it hurts. And I find that sometimes when we begin to look into God's Word, you know, simple truth is, is that when we begin to use the Word of God to prod into our lives, we stand upon the whole counsel of God. And I believe this. You see, I believe that as I talked this morning, number one, I'm not asking for anything for me for this preacher. The simple truth is, is I believe what I'm going to touch on in Scripture today, though. I believe that it's one of those practical, everyday things in your life that if you'll learn the lesson, the value of it, is incalculable. I'll promise you this too. I'm going to give you some scriptures. If you had an excuse when you came in here, that clock's not working up there. If I go by that one, you're going to be here a long time today. <laughs> it hasn't moved since I started, so I'm talking real slow, I guess. <laughs> I want to give you some truths today that I honestly believe this Sunday and I'm giving you fair warning next Sunday. You see, I want to show you Scripture today. I know there's a lot of people who's got all kinds of different ideas about these things. Folks, it don't matter what anybody says about it except God. I'm going to give you some Scripture. You can do with them what you want to because you're the one that will answer to God. You won't be able to leave here with the excuse I didn't know. When I give it to you here, it's up to you whether you apply it to your life or not. You see, I promise you, in this world and in God's world, ignorance of the law 
is no excuse. Because you don't know, it's no excuse. Because that's why you have the Word of God. That's why that Word of God takes central place in our lives. That's why it takes central place in our church. You know these instruction books you get with things? And sometimes you pick them up and they're supposed to tell you, first of all, how to put it together. And then they tell you how to operate it. And then they tell you how to maintain it and keep it from breaking and what to do. Something does break and all that. And, and sometimes you're reading through there and you're more confused when you finish than when you started. I mean, <laughs> I, I learned a long time raising six kids and all those Christmas Eves of putting all those bicycles and toys and all those easy-to-assemble things together that... Uh, Sometimes somebody had to get some kind of a weird degree to write some of those instructions uh, because I could figure it out better sometimes by myself than what they were trying to tell me. But what I want to say is this. This is God's instruction book for your life. It's only in here that you'll find out how to put the Christian life together. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's only in here that you'll tell how to live that Christian life day by day by day, what it's supposed to do, how it's supposed to work, the things that will help it to work. And guess what? Even the troubleshooting. <laughs> when something goes wrong, this is what will tell you how to fix it. God did not write it in a way to confuse you. He's not trying to make it harder for you. The thing is, he'll give you the instructions, but unless you're willing to follow them, they're not going to do you a whole lot of good. So we're going to look at this today as we think about the, the finances of the church. We're going to be looking at three areas that won't be new to some of you. But you know, again, it's amazing. It's amazing how that so many things in God's Word, we can be taught them over and over and over again, and yet how easily they can just slip from us. Got the best intentions in the world. We love God. We're going to live for Him. But somehow that just kind of gets put aside. Folks, we're the ones that suffer when we put those things aside. We're the ones that suffer when we don't follow the instruction book, when we don't follow his manual that he's given to us. Now, I'm going to try. I'll get as far as I can today. I'm going to try to focus on, on one thing primarily this morning. Those of you that know me and know this church know that I believe that when it comes to giving in the Scriptures, that the whole of the giving of Scripture is given to us in three dimensions. The first one of those is the first fruits. The first fruits, which we call the, the tithes. The second is the free will offerings. And the third is that which we call faith promise. If you haven't heard of any of those before, then they all should excite you. I can promise you that every one of them will make your life better. It'll make your life easier. If one of them, if any of those dimensions are missing out of your life when it comes to this matter, then you're going to be missing a blessing. As we begin to look today, I want to, again, read you a couple of scriptures. Notice there in our scripture reading this morning, in 1 John 3, 16, it said, Hereby perceive we the love of God... Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, if we look back into the gospel of John chapter 3, 16, amazing how those verses 
on the same subject. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We read here in our reading this morning in verses 17 and 18, he said, but whoso hath this world's good and seeketh his and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, can I say this? Can I put it real simple for you? How can you say you love God if you've got a selfish spirit? You've got the blessings of this world in your life and you see others in need and you just hang on to what you've got. You worked for it. I mean, you worked hard for it and you earned it and you deserve it. He says, how can you say that you love God if you don't have any feelings for those around you in need when you've got. My little children, let us love in let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let me say, it's easy to say, I love God. It's easy to say, I love the church that Jesus loved so much that he gave himself for it, that he died for it. I love the church, which is what he left behind, that his work could still be accomplished on this earth. I love the people around me. He says, don't say I love you just with your words. <laughs> say it with your actions. Prove it. You know, if you really love God, prove it. And of course, when we realize that the reason I want to begin here is I want you to realize, first of all and foremost, that God that's given us this instruction book that, that gives us the instructions. You see, I'm just going to say this and get it out of the way. There's nowhere in the Bible where the church had to have bake sales in order to pay the bills, where they had to have car boot sales in order to, to be able to do the work on God's house. Now, I believe there's a place for those things when people want to raise special things for special projects and do it. That's fine. I'm saying that's not what the church should be doing to finance itself. That's not God's plan. That's not what's in his word. That's not the way it's meant to be. And it's not a good testimony on a church when they have to resort to all these worldly business things in order for God's work to be done. But God tells us. But you see, it's God that first of all gave himself, didn't he? <laughs> That's what we've just read. God gave it all. God gave himself. And I want to say to you today that the first step in realizing the blessings of what we're talking about is not giving you money. It's giving yourself. God gave himself to you you need to give yourself to God. Matter of fact, if we start by trying to give God other things before we've really given himself, it probably will hurt. <laughs> it begins with us, and it proceeds from there. Most Christians that have a problem with giving of things and possessions, there's one big reason They've not really given themselves to God. 
God doesn't have them. God may have part of them, but he doesn't have them lock, stock, and barrel. When you truly give yourself, you got no problem with him having everything else that's there. I've said many times that we think of this matter, which we will get to later in this series, the greatest job that the church has is getting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the lost of this world. This matter which we call mission, that we call missions, and it begins on our doorstep and it goes to the farthest person from us. And in order for that to happen, it requires personnel, it requires prayer, it requires possessions, and it requires power. All those things are necessary for it to work. But I want to remind you this morning, the very first dimension of getting involved, of doing what you need to do in the Lord's work, that you might fully have the blessings of the Lord on your life. Now, I realize, and that's fine. You're going to answer to God yourself for the passages that I give you from his word this morning. I realize fully that there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of churches out there that preach and teach. There's a lot of books that you can go down to the, uh, the Christian bookstore and they'll tell you all kinds of things about that, you know, that tithing isn't for today. The tithing is just a way of the preacher trying to get more of your money. There's some that would tell you that tithing was strictly an Old Testament thing that was done under the law, that it no longer applies under grace. Well, there's people that would say that. But as we look into God's Word today, I want you to understand a few things of truth. If you can then believe those things after reading this, you see, the problem is you can take a passage of Scripture from here or a passage of Scripture from there, and you can build all kinds of wonderful doctrines on it and use that as a proof text. But you need to look at all the Bible says on it, not just the bits and pieces that fit what you already believe, but look at everything that the instruction book gives you concerning that matter and then see what it means. I want you to understand something. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to go through this quickly, so you're going to have to listen quickly. Genesis chapter 14. Notice what it says in verses 18 to 20. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, let me ask you something. Who was the first person that God began with when he chose a particular people to be his own. That nation was going to be the nation of Israel, wasn't it? You see, this is the first time in the history of mankind since God first created man in the garden when God is calling out a people that are going to be called his people. Who did that begin with? That began with Abraham, didn't it? 
He was the one that God called out. We find here in the passage that we just read, we find that Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek, the high priest, who in our scriptures was a type of Christ. From the time that God chose his own people. Folks, the law is nowhere near in existence at this point. When God called the first person that he called out to begin building his people that would be called by his name, I'm saying to you that he began this thing of tithing. Now, look into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews, and concerning this this same matter in Hebrews chapter 7. Notice what the Word of God says. He says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. That's all a tithe is, folks. It is a tenth. First being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginnings of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continuously. I'm not the one that was saying he was a, a type of Christ. The Bible does. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils of that which he brought in. And verily, verily, they that are the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, is less, the less is blessed of the better and here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may to say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, where he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Folks, I just want you to grasp and understand. People that say that it was a thing of the law, it didn't begin with the law. Ties existed before the law. Matter of fact, ties existed from the very first man when God called out a people of his own that were going to be his own. You can also look into, into Genesis chapter 28. You find that uh, uh, in this passage, uh, again, speaking before that uh, the law had even come into existence, in Genesis chapter 28, notice what it says in verse 20. To 22, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee tenth unto thee. I will give the tenth unto thee. Law hadn't been written yet concerning tithes. Abraham, Jacob, the Bible clearly shows us in both of these cases. Now you can read all through Leviticus and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy. You'll find that not only did the tithe exist before the law, it certainly existed under the law. 
We read all about the tithes in those books. Now let me just give you these again. Notice in Numbers chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and chapter 18. Notice what it says down in verse 21. It says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. We find that this tithe was what? What did it say there? I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. Who were the children of Levi? They were the ones that were the priest. They were the ones that were there ministering to the rest of the people. So we find that under the law, they had to pay a tenth, a tithe, for the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. We find that if you look into Deuteronomy chapter 12, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 12. Notice what it says down in verse 5. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto the habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herds and your flocks. There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hands unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. We find that if you look down in verses 17 and 18, thou mayest not eat herein the, thy gates, the tithe of thy corn, or of thy wine, or of thy oil, or of the firstlings of the herds, or thy flock, nor any of thy vows which thou vowest, nor the freewill offerings or heave offerings of thine hand, but thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant, and the Levite and is within the gates, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. They had a tithe that was there specifically for the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. They had another tithe that was there for the feast and the fellowship of the people together. That's what we're reading about here. That a tenth of all that they had came in for that purpose, for the group fellowship altogether. And then notice in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and notice what it says down in verse 28 and 29. At the end of three years... Thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and shalt lay it upon thy gates and the Levite because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. Now, what's this tithe? This is another tithe. We got one tithe, the people the first fruits they're bringing in, the first tithe is there for the upkeep of the temple, the priests, the Levites. The second tithe comes in, that is for the fellowship of the people together. Then there's a third tithe, but this one's only given every third year, not every year like the others. Every third year, there's another tithe that's given, and that's what we would call a benevolence fund. That's for the poor. That's for the ones that don't have. 
That's so that the church could genuinely reach out to the needs of those that are in need. Now, the word tithe simply means 10%. But we're reading about different tithes that they brought for specific purposes. You know, we complain a lot of times about, man, 10%, a tithe. We try to say, well, under the law. They weren't paying just one tithe under the law. Matter of fact, if you work it out, they were paying almost a quarter. They were paying 23 and a third percent. First fruits off the top, everything that came in, 23 and a third percent went straight. And it got nothing to do with the free will offerings. We read about that a couple of times there. We'll come to that later. That was something that's totally different. I'm saying they're tithe. 23 and a third percent under the law that they brought in for the work of God to take place. Now, I want you to turn with me real quick, and this is important. And you need to grasp this truth because can I be honest with you? You know, we're not talking about something that has to do with your Christianity. We are talking about how you live your Christian life. And folks, I, can, I, I don't know how to make this more plain. I'm not here preaching about your finances, God's finances, tithes and offerings and all that thing today just for the fun of it. You need to grasp and understand something. God's economics work better than the world's. I'm going to be honest. You see, I, I was just as much a Christian when I paid my tithes or when I didn't pay my tithes. Wasn't as happy a Christian, I promise you that. I think you'll see that as we look through here, I had to be missing a whole lot of blessings in my life because, you see, I, I never intended to be dishonest with God. I mean, I loved God. I was a Christian. But I can tell you that there was some, even in our early married life, especially when we started having a family, we had more bills than we knew what to do with. <laughs> and, you know, sadly, sometimes instead of getting the first fruits, God got the leftovers. That's all we had left for him was whatever was left over. Because, you know, it wasn't because I didn't love God. It wasn't because I wasn't in church. It wasn't because I wasn't trying to live for God. It was because I hadn't grasped this simple principle in God's word. And I felt I had somehow rationalized it away that I couldn't afford to put that in. Let me tell you something, folks. If money is tight for you, maybe it's because you're not giving him the first fruits. You're trying to give him the leftovers if anything is left over because that's the place he's got in your heart. Don't just love in word. Stand back and say, I love God. Notice what God says. I didn't write this. I didn't make it up, but we need to learn the truth of it in Malachi chapter 3. Verse 10 says this, listen carefully. Bring ye all the, the next word there is tithes, plural, all the tithes. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Where's God's storehouse? This is God's storehouse. It's not some TV evangelist that you send it off to out there. It's not some charity. It's not some organization that's doing a good work. We get to those free will offerings. The tithes come into God's storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, he said. Notice this. He says, and prove me now. 
herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You see, on the one hand, it's easy to say, I love God. And it's easy to say, I trust God. I know that he's going to take care of me. I know that he's there with me. But then, just in case you don't, you're going to manage your money your way, not God's way. You'd rather have 100% with zero blessing than 90% with the blessings of God that owns it everything. Does that make sense? Do you really think that that 10% that you're stealing from God, I'll, we'll get to that in a minute, you're stealing, you're robbing it from the one you say you love. Have you ever had somebody that you cared about that has actually stolen from you, taken from you something that, that didn't belong to them? Folks, do you know how deep that hurts? When somebody is that dishonest with you, you see, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to give you two choices. <laughs> you can either be trustworthy or you can be a thief. There, there, is, there is no other choice. God gives us that. But I want you to notice before we get too far there, what he's saying here. He's saying bring all, not just part of it, bring all your tithes into the storehouse and herewith and in doing this he says prove me prove me prove me see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you not be able to stand now as he's saying there oh if you'll bring your money into church you'll never have another financial problem in your life now if you're foolish enough to bite off more than you can choose you might have all kinds of serious problems and things go wrong. And we're living in pretty tough economic times right now. Let me tell you something. You think things are tough? You think you don't have enough money to go around? Well, if, you decide, if, you're, if you've been deciding just to steal God's part to help your part, I'm not surprised it's hard for you. He says, prove me if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you'll not be able to withstand. I've shared this with you before, an illustration that one of the pastors that I trained under used when, on this subject years ago, and, and, and I was just a young lad training for the ministry. But, you know, it stuck with me all these years. He said, just picture this. Here's the God of heaven, the God, of, the God that owns everything. And he's given us a picture. He's, he's up there in heaven, and, man, he's just wanting to raise the windows of heaven and just pour all these blessings. I mean, pour so many blessings on your life that you just can't stand it. But you're standing there. Boom, slamming the window down. God's trying to raise the window to bless you. You're boom, pulling that window down. I'm just going to keep that 10% that I'm going to steal from you. You can keep all your blessings, God. I'd rather steal this from you than to have your blessings on my life. You say, preacher, that's hard. No, folks. We need to understand. God's economy works. I can't promise you that you'll have no financial problems if you paid your tithes. I've had financial struggles. I'm not exactly floating in more than I know what to, to do with right now. <laughs> but I can promise you this. It's been a long, long time. A long time. Many years. I don't say this bragging. I don't offer God the leftovers. I don't care how tough it is. The first fruits are his. I want to tell you something. I don't want to try to make it. <laughs> 
without his blessings. I might have to type, but God, don't let me sit there and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and then steal what's yours. You say, preacher, isn't that kind of strong language? Well, just after God says that he'd pour all those blessings out on you that you just <laughs> wouldn't be room enough to receive it, he says, he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, and ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, the truth is that it's not just what you get. <laughs> it's the bad things that don't come your way. You say, well, I, you know, God hadn't poured a million down on me lately. <laughs> wonder what he kept from going wrong. wonder what he kept in place that wouldn't have been there. You see, he's saying here, he said, he said, you know, not only am I going to be pouring the blessings out on you, but I'm going to be holding back those things that devour you as well. And you know what? He said, by the testimony of your life, others are going to be able to look at you and say, wow, that person's blessed. Look what God's doing in their life. Now, back up a verse Back up to verse 8, and he listens to what he says here. He says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? He said, in tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. Folks, I, I can't put it more simply. Simple truth is, is that if you're not giving God your first fruits, <laughs> he on, he's, he's promised the blessings if you do. Put him first, he'll bless you. But he's also said if you don't, then there's going to be cursing. There was all those things that he's going to hold back. <laughs> you're not going to have the protection that doesn't mean that God just forsakes you because you do that one thing wrong. I'm just saying, folks, your life, there is no way in the world. This is God's Word. This is what God teaches us. The tithe existed from the time that God called out a people to be His own. God gave them the tithes under the law when they were living under that dispensation. The Bible makes it very clear through the prophet Malachi that by giving God his tithes that is his, those first fruits, that the blessings are going to be poured out on our lives, but by robbing him, we are a thief. You see, in the first place, if you've really given God all of you, he has everything that you have, and it's really all from him anyway. You wouldn't have any of it if God hadn't blessed you with it the way that he's meant for his church to operate is not for us to get out here and beg the world to buy our cakes and buy our secondhand junk and all this stuff just so we can pay the bills. God meant for his people to just give a small portion of everything that he gives to them. He's not asking you to do what anybody else. It's proportionate to what you make. It's proportionate to what you have. 
we find that in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, well, preacher, does, does, it, does the tithe carry on into the New Testament? People have told us that it only, only exists in the Old Testament, that it's not relevant in the New Testament under grace. Well, in Matthew chapter 23, and in verse 23, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Boy, they were a fine lot, weren't they? <laughs> he, did, he did try to be really soft-spoken a lot of times. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You see, these were sending back, and they were easing their conscience because bottom line, what they were doing, they were putting their tithe in, they were paying their way, but they weren't living the life. He said, you're doing this, you think that's making it all right. What about the weightier things? What about these other things in your life? He said, you ought to be worried about them and still not leave the other undone. Yes, you still ought to be paying your tithes, but I'm saying this, paying your tithes, he's saying, is no excuse for not living the life. Just putting your money in the offering bag or the offering plate or the offering box or whatever the church might be using is not an excuse. It's just one area of the whole. Notice what in the Gospel of Luke Chapter 18, and notice what he says there in verse 12. He says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, if you read here, you find that Jesus is speaking of the tithe as good and showing how that the Pharisee did this good thing but had the total wrong attitude of heart. He was bragging about all that he did. He was bragging about everything that he did, but he was just doing it for show. Simple truth is you don't do it so somebody else can see you or know what you're doing. You don't do it for that reason. I give tithes of everything that I possess. God just wouldn't make it without me. I'm such a good Christian. Truth is, is that's not what tithing is all about. You see, it's not that at the sake of the other things in your life. It's not that so you can flash it out there so everybody else can see what you're doing. Notice just a couple of pages over in Luke chapter 20 and in verse 25. We'll have to come to a close here. Luke chapter 20, verse 25. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. What's the things that are Caesar's? Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. And unto God the things which are God's. Pay your tithes. Pay your tithes. You see, it's wrong to cheat the government out of your taxes. And if they catch you, you're going to pay a big, big price for it. God's a more gracious God. But I'm saying, folks, please, you need to understand this. And I want to tell you something else, and I'm not saying this to be mean. You're not only, you're not only a robber and a thief, 
But if you're a member of this church, you don't pay your tithes, you're also a liar. Because one of the things that you promise when this church makes its promises to you that we come together is that we'll be faithful to God and faithful to one another. Of course, this is part of the faithfulness. How can we say I'm faithful to God if we're robbing from him every time that we're getting paid for the labors, the wages, the things that we have? Young people, I don't care if you don't even have a job yet. You get spending money that's given to you by your parents or something, don't you think God ought to get his share of that if you want God's blessing upon that? You need to start, start learning to give God the first fruits of whatever you're blessed with. You give him the first fruits and he'll pour you out blessings that you can't even imagine. J.L. Kraft, most people have heard the name Kraft Foods, the ones that, you know, I guess raised a lot of eyebrows when they bought out Cadbury's here not long ago. You know, it's kind of an ironic thing. You go back to the heritage of Cadbury's and Kraft, though, that the men that started those companies were men of God in their own way. J.R. Kraft, that started that company, he said that he gave at least 25% of his enormous income, folks, solely to Christian causes, not just to charity, but to Christian causes. And here's a quote from him, a man that, on one of the hugest industries, said, the only investment I ever made, which has paid consistently increasing dividends, is the money that I've given to the Lord. <laughs> the safest money he ever invested was what he gave to the Lord. J.D. Rockefeller used to be one of the richest men in the world. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I hadn't tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 for a week. You see, sometimes you think, well, I just don't have enough right now to pay my tithes. Don't kid yourself. If you're going to steal the little amounts, you'll steal the big amounts. Matter of fact, W.A. Criswell, the old Baptist preacher from Texas, he told a story one time of one of his men that came to him and talked to him and was wanting the pastor to pray with him because he was needing a job and needing for the Lord to bless him in that area. The Lord gave him a job, and they, they prayed about it, prayed for God to bless his career. Started making $40 a week, and off that $40, he was paying his $4 tithe every week. Time went on a little bit, and the man's increase, the Lord blessed him, and his, his income increased to the point to where he, it was like, Instead of $4 a week, it was $500 a week that was he was having to pay in tithes. So he went back to Dr. Chriswell, and he sat down with the pastor, and he talked to him, and he said, Pastor, he said, you know, he said this promise that we made about giving God his part in tithing and all that, he said, is there any way I could be released from that promise? Because he said, man, he said, this thing's getting to be an awful lot. He said, he said, it used to be, you know, $4 a week, but now it's 500 a week. Dr. Criswell said, I've got just the answer. He said, let's just bow down right here and pray and ask God to take that job away from you and give you back the $40 a week. <laughs> if you can pay the $4 a week and not be a thief. But because God's blessed you so much, man, that 500 seems like an awful lot. Folks, that's why it's a tithe. It's not what somebody else is doing. 
that's God's part. I want you to understand something today. God designed his church. That's the way his church is designed to operate. And I'm saying this. He didn't design it. Not only did he not design it for the church to have to go out there and try to earn it from the world, he didn't design it for it to be kept up by the government either. The church ought to be an autonomous entity. It's not something that ought to be kept up by the paying of people's taxes and all these things. One thing that we have always stood for right through the centuries with all the different names, the Baptists have always stood strong for the separation of church and state. We need to take care of ourselves God's way. So in the first place, let me give you these questions in closing, and we will sing a great old hymn that I'm going to ask you if you're willing to do this morning. You've got to understand something. You see, I love you. And I believe with everything within me, either God's a liar. You want God to be the liar or do you want you to be the liar? <laughs> you know, God's the one that said. God's the one that started from the time he called out a people. Today in this world is his church, that's his people. And that's the way his people have always supported his work. How strong would our church be today? If every member of this church paid their tithes just like you, how strong would it be? Would the lights be on? Would the building be here? Even far, even more important, would those gospel tracts be being bought? Would the gospel be being preached? Or would the doors close because you just can't afford it? There's too many other things in life that's more important. You say, preacher, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, it is. If you put something else, if you're taking God's first fruits, that which belongs to him first, then you're saying that other things are more important to that. Prove it with your actions. Prove that you love him with your actions. Prove him if his blessings won't be upon you. Folks, there is not an individual anywhere on the face of this earth. Listen to me. It's a, it's a, it's a strong statement but it's supported by everything we've looked at this morning. There is not an individual on the face of planet earth that is a child of God that's in a position that they cannot afford to tithe. Do you hear me? Nobody. Nobody. Robbing from God to meet your needs. And then you know what's even worse than that? We not only convince ourselves that we can't afford to tithe, that we got to have this, and we got to pay these bills, but yet we can still afford to go out for meals, and we can still afford to buy those Pepsis, and we can still afford to go to the, to the cinema, and we can still afford to do all these other things that we're robbing from God. We're taking what is His because we can't afford to. And we wonder why we have it so tough. Let me tell you something. You've got money to spend on a Pepsi and you've got money to spend on a, on a, on a meal out and a cinnamon and all these other things and you're not giving God his. You are a thief and a liar. I don't say that mean. I'm saying you better look at yourself because that's where it's at. You are missing the blessings of God. You can't be happy. You can't live the joyful life that he wants for you. You're missing the blessings of God. I don't want that for any of you. You can't afford not to pay your tithes. That's the first dimension. And you know what? 
You can't even be involved in the others that we're going to look at until you get this one first because the first fruits are already his. You can't give God a thing until he can trust you with what's already his. That's Bible. That's what it teaches us. I can't wipe away your financial, but if you can, if you can learn this lesson, and the sooner you learn it, the better. Always, whatever you do, give God the first fruits. You know what? If you can't trust yourself, maybe you ought to set yourself up a direct debit and get it out of there before you can get your hands on it. <laughs> you need to put into practice not just the words from your mouth. This is Bible, folks. This is God's way. This is the way for his church to operate, and it's the way for the economy of your life to operate. It's the way that your life will be blessed more if you'll do what he shows you to do, if you'll follow the plan. Father, I thank you this morning. I know, Lord, that so many times because of the wrong perspective that's put on so many Sometimes our subject this morning can be perceived as a negative thing, but, Lord, it's such a blessing. Those in their lives that have learned, man, God's got a plan. And in his plan, boy, it works for the church because God's people, God's church, the body that he has here on this earth to accomplish his work, its needs will be met through God's people. God's plan will pay for those things that need to be paid for. And at the same time, God's plan says that those that are trustworthy, that will genuinely put him first, that will give him the first fruits, that he'll pour out the blessings on their life, oh, that they'll not be able to just even receive, that he'll hold back the devourers. He'll keep those things out of their lives that would cost them money. Lord, it's, it's the way for both. I know to the world that would make no sense. But to you, your needs are met because the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of your people, their needs are met far better. Your blessings are upon their life. Lord, that's what we desire here today for your work, to be able to do all that you have planned for it. And Lord, for each of your children, to have the greatest blessings that you can pour out upon them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.